Turn with me to the book of Philippians. Let's go to chapter 4. We want to look at verses 1 through 9. You'll notice that the topic this morning, Paul comes to this conclusion as he uh, is finishing off uh, the book of Philippians. We're going to do half the chapter and finish it off next week. But Paul speaks about this position. Is my name written in the book of life? And it's a challenge for us this morning. Because so many times we can acknowledge, well, I am a Christian, and I go to church every Sunday. I have received Christ. And Paul challenges us, challenges the very depths of our heart. Is your name written in the book of life? Because we can make a lip service. Yes, Jesus come into my life. But am I truly born again of the Holy Spirit? So Paul's going to address this this morning. But as we come into the last chapter, I'm reminded what we did last week. It kind of sets it up. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21, I'm just going to paraphrase. But Paul spoke about our citizenship in heaven. Not on the earth, but in heaven. We're here in this planet. We're here on this earth. But Jesus says we're in the world, but we're not part of it. But my citizenship, your citizenship, is in heaven. And so Paul encouraged the church at Philippi last week as we studied the pattern of our lives. Paul even himself said, follow me because I follow Christ. Heavy statement that he would make that. But Paul was such a man that followed the Lord. He also spoke about uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus, men of God. Men of honest report, men who you read about in Acts chapter 6, choose seven men filled with the Holy Spirit. And so these type of men, Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus, were uh, model citizens of Christ. Paul also warned, warned last week uh, concerning the false teachers, the false prophets. We know and we understand that they were called Judaizers. They were coming in many times in various churches, undermining the teachings of Paul. They would come in and say, Jesus is fine, salvation is fine, but what about your circumcision? Are you still keeping the law? And then Paul spoke about these false prophets, that they were in it for themselves. Their whole ministry was for personal gain or filthy lucre. They did it to fill their own appetites, their own bellies. And unless they repented, Paul said, that their eternal destruction, which would be hell. But this citizenship that we must have in heaven. And so then Paul reminds us we're anxiously waiting for his return for us. And we also wait for our new glorified bodies. And we gave that uh, reference in Matthew chapter 17. It's called a transfiguration. And there... Jesus takes Peter, James, and John to Mount Hermon. And Jesus there in the Mount of Transfiguration is with Moses and Elijah. And they show the disciples these glorified bodies. And so our eternal expectation, as Paul was sharing, or as Jesus was sharing then, and as Paul shares this morning, and we're going to see. Are we truly born again of the Holy Spirit? Again, is my name written in the book of life? Now, as we come into chapter 4, Paul is getting ready to close the letter. Remember, he's in prison. Remember, he's in house arrest. Remember that he doesn't want to be there. But God had him there for that two-year span we read in the book of Acts. And in that two-year span, he's able to write four prison epistles this letter to the church of Philippi was one of them, and he encourages them. Paul spoke of being hardship, hard-pressed, suffering even there in that dungeon experience, that prison experience. You see, Paul wanted to be with the church. He didn't want to be incarcerated, yet God had a plan. And so now in chapter 4, one of my commentaries says that Paul gives this apostolic advice. And I'd rather encourage it this way. Paul had such a love and such a compassion for the church at Philippi and for all the churches. And so I want to say that Paul gives this fatherly advice with more love, more compassion. And you'll see it as he begins here in verse 1. 
He says, therefore, my beloved, and longed for brethren. He says, my joy, my crown. He says, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Notice that he uses this word beloved, and I longed for, and he uses the word beloved again. And so it speaks of intimacy. Paul had such a, a heart for the brothers and sisters, not just at the church at Philippi, but for all the churches. And so listen to Paul's heart. He says, I love you, and I long to see you, for you are my joy. And then he uses his word crown. You are my reward for my ministry work. And so Paul says, my exhortation to the church at Philippi and to us this morning, stay true to the Lord. My dearly beloved, again, loved ones, friends of Christ. The Greek is saying, for my beloved and longed for brothers and sisters, dear ones. The word beloved is agape. And so he's saying, dear agape ones, who I greatly love. The word agape is divine love. We can only receive that love from Christ. And so Paul says, you, church at Philippi, you're my personal joy and my personal crown. You're my gladness. You're my reward. Listen to Paul's heart for the church. And church, we should have that kind of love one for another. We should have that love here even this morning. When we tell you, turn around and greet somebody, it should be with tender, loving kindness. We should encourage one another. But notice in verse 1, Paul tells them, stand fast. And you're going to see why as we continue the, uh, the reading this morning. Stand fast, persevere in the Lord. Persevere in the Lord. You need to understand something. Paul's addressing the church at Philippi. But at this time in history of the early church, there was great persecution. And it was so easy to leave your faith. It was so easy to say, if this is what Christianity is about, man, I'd rather go back to the world. And we know from history, uh, there in the arenas in Rome, they made sport of Christians. The first 300 years were great persecution uh, by the emperors of Rome. Imagine being made sport of because you're a Christian. And so Paul says, stand fast. Persevere in the Lord. I'm reminded... Back in Revelation chapter 2, uh, we read in verse 8, the church called Smyrna. Now, Paul is talking about perseverance. When Jesus was writing the letters to the seven churches there in Asia Minor, Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, each church he encouraged. At the conclusion of the letters, he would say, take heed to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church. And so he addressed seven churches, but in Revelation 2.8, he addresses the church at Smyrna. If you have a study Bible, it tells us that they were the persecuted church. Now, the word Smyrna comes from the, uh, the plant that was called the myrrh plant. There was something interesting about the myrrh plant. If you just looked at the plant, it was nothing. But if you took that plant and you crushed it, listen to the word now. If you took that plant and persecuted it, the aroma was fantastic. In fact, they said that they, the more you crushed it, the more you persecuted that plant, the greater the fragrance. And so the church at Smyrna, even though they were the persecuted church, they were the church serving the Lord. And sometimes... We have to go through persecution. Sometimes we have to go through trials and tribulations. Sometimes because our walk is so easy and everything is going fine, it's not till persecution comes that I recognize, I acknowledge, Lord, I need you. I desperately need you. And so Paul is encouraging the church at Philippi. Now we come into verse 2. Interesting, he speaks of two ladies in the church. And obviously, they had a dispute amongst themselves. We don't know what it was. I believe it wasn't that strong, or else Paul would have mentioned it. But Paul addresses these two ladies. Notice what he says in verse 2. I implore you, you Odia, and I implore Synteche, to be the same mind in the Lord. Here we see Paul as he encourages and he gives this fatherly advice. 
We spoke about it in verse 1. Stand fast. Because now these two ladies that were in the church, in the church at Philippi, they were feuding over something. Paul says, I personally beseech you. The word is better translated, I beg you. The word implore. I beg you. Both of you ladies. Get this thing right. And and church, let me share this with you this morning. There's those times when we get into little scraps at the church. One lady against another lady. Or one gentleman against another gentleman. And we're all brothers, sisters in Christ, but something, you know, got you mad. Something got them mad. And you know, we need to let it go. Didn't Jesus forgive us? Shouldn't we forgive? And we have this tendency, I forgive you up here, but next time around, I'm going to get you. And that is so true. You see, I had to learn uh, this concept the hard way. Because when somebody does something to you personally, it frustrates to the point that you want to retaliate, you want to get back. And yet I'm reminded when I read that passage of Scripture, Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's getting ready to give up the ghost. He's going to die. And remember the last words that he says to his heavenly Father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I say, oh, Lord, don't do that. And you see, nobody's putting me on the cross. Nobody is putting you on the cross, but a little infraction like these two ladies. And so learn how to forgive and to forget. And so these two ladies, whatever they were going through, but what's interesting, they're part of ministry. They're part of the body of Christ. In fact, I believe they ministered right along with Paul. Because he's going to mention it as we get to verse 3. And notice this now. And I urge you also, true companion. Now he's speaking about somebody there at Philippi, and the name that he gives is true companion. He doesn't give his name or her name. Help these two women who labored with me in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he mentions, also was with us Clement. Also, the rest of my fellow workers, co-laborers, whose names, and this is what we're going to speak about this morning, are written in the book of life. These are the saints here in verse 3 who co-labored with Paul in ministry there at Philippi. Paul speaks of a true companion. We don't know who it is. It's interesting. I have quite a library as far as commentaries. And I went to several commentaries and see, you know, who is this person? Who is this true companion? And there was a lot of (laughs) uh, input. But it's just guesswork. I'm going to give you some of the names, uh, but they... This true companion also served with Paul there at Philippi and with the two ladies and also uh, with this brother that's named Clement. But some say that possibly this true companion was Silas. Again, the Bible's silent. We don't know. Some even said that it was Paul's wife. You say, wait a minute, we don't have any mention of Paul's wife. Well, Paul most likely was married because he belonged to the Sanhedrin, and that was one of the criteria that they had to have been married. Others say that it was the Philippian jailer there in Philippi that came to saving grace. And then somebody uh, said, I think it's Lydia. She was the seller of purple there in the book of Acts in chapter 16, the first convert there at Philippi. She's this true companion. And again, I give you these names, but let me just share this with you. Pastor Chuck, years ago, in his conferences for the pastors and such, he said this before. You know where the Bible is silent? We need to be silent. And so here it is. It's called, he is called, or she is called, true companion. But we don't know who it is. Oh, I bet you it's Lydia. No, it can't be. It's got to be Paul's wife. Nah, there's no mention of Paul's wife. It's got to be Silas. What about Barnabas? So see, you can begin to guess, and you're going crazy. When you get to heaven, ask, where's true companion? And then you'll know. (laughs) But in the meantime, he speaks about Clement. He speaks about these two ladies. They were co-laborers. They were fellow servants with Paul. There in Philippi, 
But listen to what Paul says. Whose names are in God's book of life. And so here's our teaching and our encouragement this morning. And let's personalize it. Is your name, is my name written in the book of life? And if you're not sure, we're going to give you the challenge at the end of the service. You must come to saving grace. Well, Pastor Bob, I've been in the church forever. Pastor Bob, I was baptized in the church. Pastor Bob, and, and you know, we can give all the cliches. But as Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, back in John chapter 3, he says, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. He belonged to the Sanhedrin. He had his credentials on the wall, basically, and he had to come to saving grace. Paul the Apostle, which was Saul of Tarsus, a very learned man in the law. In fact, he's considered a doctor of the law. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He belonged to the Sanhedrin. Paul had to come to saving grace there in the book of Acts in chapter 9. When everybody was knocked down, he was taken off of his animal, and Paul was blinded. Remember Paul's words? Is that you, Lord, recognizing that it was the power of God that knocked him to the ground? And then Paul responds, what is it that you want me to do, Lord? And God used Paul mightily. At that moment, his name is written in the book of life. Now, let me give you some scripture uh, to verify this uh, book that God has, obviously, and that our names must be written in the book of life. I want you to write them down, and then I'm going to ask you, uh, when we conclude, we're going to go to the Gospel of Luke in chapter 10. But back in Exodus chapter 32, verse 32, let me read the passage. This is Moses, and he's uh, crying out to the Lord. Yet now, if you will forgive their sins, the children of Israel... But if not, listen to what Moses says, I pray, blot me out of your book which you have written. Interesting that Moses knew about this book, this book of life. It's also in the New Testament, it's called the Lamb's Book of Life. But let me tell you what's going on here. The children of Israel had left Egypt after 400 years of bondage, and they come to Mount Sinai. And Moses goes up into the mountain to receive the laws from God, the Ten Commandments. And remember that Moses spent some time up there. And the people were getting frustrated, thinking Paul's not, or, or Moses is not going to come back. And so they ask Aaron, Moses' brother, which eventually he becomes the high priest. He says, make us a God as we served in Egypt. And then Aaron, I don't understand his logic. He puts the gold into the fire, and he makes this golden calf. Oh, God is ready to wipe them out. Moses comes out of the mountain. He has the tablets of the law, and Moses, in his anger, he breaks them. And now God's ready to destroy everybody. And so Moses makes this prayer. Lord, blot my name out of the book of life that you might spare them. You know what the Lord said to him? Moses, I choose whose name is taken off the book of life. Interesting. Here's another passage in the book of Psalms in chapter 69, verse 28. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. So those that are wicked, those that are sinful, are not going to be found in the book of life. Revelation chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Jesus addressing the church at Sardis. This is considered the dead church. He begins in verse 5. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. But I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Verse 6 says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the Lord. Remember what we shared already? To the seven churches in Asia Minor, each letter that was written at the conclusion, take heed to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church. Now let me paraphrase some of these to you. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 8, those who worship the beast in the time of the tribulation, these whose names were not written in the book of life. It's also called the Lamb's book of life. In Revelation 17, 8, listen to this. 
If your name is not written in the book of life, you will not enter heaven. That's Revelation 21, 27, excuse me. In Revelation 17, 8, our names are written in the book of life before, listen, the foundations of the world. Some suggest that as we come into this world, we're not even part of this world yet. God already knows that you're going to get saved. God already knew that I would get saved. And that's the foreknowledge of God. And so your name's written in the book of life. My name's written in the book of life. So then you respond, well, wait a minute. If God knows if I'm going to be saved, then why should I respond to the born-again experience? Why should I respond to an altar call? Because God wants you, listen, to receive him by faith. Each one that's written in the book of life will come to that place. And you ask this question, well, what if my name is not written in the book of life? Well, I can guarantee you, if you're here and you're listening and you're getting the CD later, then ask him to forgive you and come in to the kingdom of God. and Be assured that your name is written in the book of life. Again, in Revelation 21, 27, I went ahead of myself. If your name is not written in the book of life, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Daniel, in the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, Daniel speaks about the names written in the book, God's book, church. Now turn with me. I want you to see this. The words of Jesus, Luke chapter 10, the gospel, verses 17 through 21. You see, the Bible says that we must be born again. The Bible says that I must accept Christ. The Bible says that there must be regeneration. The Bible says that there needs to be a transformation in my life and in your life. There has to be this change, this metamorphosis. Jesus speaks about when the change comes, your name will be written in the book of life. In Luke chapter 10, look at verse 17. Jesus is addressing now the 70 uh, who return with joy after going out and ministering. Verse 17, he begins, Then the 70 uh, return with joy. Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Uh, they were just mesmerized of what took place as they went out and ministered. As they ministered in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Notice verse 18. And he said to them. These are the words of Christ now. If you have a red letter edition. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Jesus is making reference to the Old Testament passage of Isaiah chapter 14. The five I wills of Lucifer. And he fell from grace. And he was kicked out of the kingdom of God. It's brought back in Revelation chapter 12 where the dragon, which is Lucifer, his tail swept, and he took a third of the fallen angels with him. You see that reference in Revelation 12. And so he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Verse 19, behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. If God be for us, who can be against us? God gives the anointing of his spirit upon those uh, that are called to ministry, those that are called uh, to the mission field, those that are called to the highways and the byways. God has his hand upon you. And yet we read, even today in third world countries, there are those Christians that are being martyred. Look at verse 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, he says that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Rejoice because your names are written in the book of life. Jesus rejoices in the spirit. For us this morning, make it personal. Is my name written in the book of life? Paul's encouraging these two ladies that were feuding. Paul's encouraging this man named Clement. Paul's encouraging those that were co-laborers there at Philippi. Paul's encouraging us this morning. Is your name written in the book of life? 
It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. It's called the Book of God. Is your name written? Again, so many times we, well, my name's written at the ledger at our church. My name's written, you know, there when, when I was water baptized. My name was written, and, you know, you go on and on. I was thinking of the concept. Imagine in your lifetime, your job caused you to travel. And a lot of times people will come up to me, and they'll say, Pastor Bob, we want to join the church, and I brought my letter of intent from my other church. But imagine in your lifetime you've moved 12 different times, West Coast, you know, Midwest, Southwest, the East Coast. I mean, you've covered it all. And so you get into the kingdom of God, you've got 12 letters now. Look, Jesus, I belong to all these churches. Are you born again? He opens the books and he says, is your name written in the book of life? I'll tell you what, I want to get into the kingdom of God one day. And when those books are open, I say, Lord, go to the O's. Go to the O-R-T. I'm right there, Lord. My name's Robert. I'm a junior. Look under junior. If it's senior, that's my dad. He's there. I know. And so look at verse 4 now. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. I like this. Remember, we're speaking about, is your name written in the book of life? Rejoice. Listen to what he says. Verse 4. Be cheerful. Be happy in the Lord always. And then he repeats it. And again, I will say, be cheerful. Be happy. Why? Because your names are written in the book of life. Your names are written in the book of life. Again, when people come to our church and they decide they're going to stay here, and be part of our church, uh, from time to time they'll say, can I join membership? I says, you know, listen to me. I'm going to explain it real quick. Your membership in this church and your membership in any church is your name written in the book of life. You'd be surprised how many people have never heard of that. And so we have our names on all these endorsements all over the place. Somebody came to me after first service and says, you know, Pastor Bob, you made a good uh, logic there. I would add to it. You know, if you live in the garage, no matter what, how many years, and you come out of that garage, you're not going to be a Cadillac. And I go, hey, good point. I'll use it in second service. <laughs> but is your name written in the book of life? And so Paul here is saying, know that your name is in the word of God. And if so, rejoice in the Lord. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Paul says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. In verse 4, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for all of you with joy. Oh, Paul loved the church at Philippi. He loved the church at Colossae. We're going to be studying that. He loved the church of, of the Galatians. He loved all of the churches that Paul worked with. He had this joy of the Lord. This cheerfulness, this gladness, because of the love of the Lord in his heart. The church is always supposed to be joyful. I was thinking that, you know, the church at Smyrna was the persecuted church. I was thinking that, you know, the trials that some of you uh, are going through or have gone through, how do we rejoice in the Lord? Listen to this passage. You know it very well. In James chapter 1, verse 2, James says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, various trials, hardships, pains. Listen to this, church. Even some in death, in death. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. That's not easy. The word, my brethren, count it all. Place it into your personal account with God as you go through trials. Let it be in joy and gladness, cheerfulness. Not because of the trial, but because of Jesus who sustains you. When my dad passed away, my mom had prepared for almost two and a half years. We all knew that dad was going to pass away. That eventually, either his heart was going to give, his lungs were going to give, or the cancer. But we know his time was coming. 
And so we grieved. We wept. And so when the time came for uh, my dad's death, passing away, we did the memorial services. We did, you know, the uh, graveside. We did all these. And some of the family members asked, how come my mom wasn't, you know, upset? You've been to funerals. You know it frustrates people. Uh, we can't handle death. And, and basically, the emotions come out. The wailing comes out. The grieving comes out. And my mom was very calm. And she would politely say, I have grieved. I have wept. I've had my times. And when I did the messages, uh, I was also trying to, you know, be in control. And there were some hard spots. It's not easy. But we rejoice even in our circumstances. Listen to the New Living Translation of verse 4. It's so beautiful. Always be full of joy. That's the translation. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again. Always be full of joy in the Lord. Rejoice. You can only do this, church, with Christ in your heart. You can only do this when you relinquish all to Christ, to God. When God takes over your life, and so many times, I don't let go. You don't let go. Let go and let God, basically. But we like to hang on. We like to grieve. We like to, why? And I'm trying to learn. It's not easy. Learning to let it go. He goes on into verse 5 now. And again, keep in mind the two women that were having this dispute. Let your gentleness, church, let your gentleness be known to all men. He's addressing the church at Philippi. We're reading it this morning. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. In other words, man, why do we get caught up in these little, uh, you know, these little arguments, these little frustrations? When in all reality, Paul's saying, listen, the Lord is at hand. The Lord could come at any moment. Addressing the issue of the Philippian church, the, the two ladies back in verse 2. Allow all at Philippi see what you are considerate in all you do. Why? Because Jesus is coming soon. Notice that Paul lived his life. And he asked others to live their lives the same. Because Jesus was coming soon for his church. Now, when we get to uh, the book of 1 Thessalonians, when we get to chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, Paul speaks of the doctrine of the rapture of the church. But man, we should live every day. Listen, Paul thought that the Lord was coming in his time, the anticipation. Here we are today, 21st century. The Lord hasn't returned. I remember back in Southern California, we're going to Calvary Chapel there in West Covina. And I don't know if you remember, uh, but at that time, the planets were lining up. It was 1982. And everybody starts up. Yeah, the planets, the centrifugal force and everything. It's going to create the rapture of the church. And Christians were getting excited. Well, it didn't happen, did it? And then in 1988, a man by the name of Wisenot. 88 reasons why Jesus is coming. And he gives the date. I don't know where Wisenot is at today, but he, he just didn't, he didn't hit it, that's for sure. The Bible says no man knows the time nor the hour. But live as if Christ is coming tomorrow. I just wonder how we would respond, including myself. How would I act all next week if we received the written report from God and he says, I am coming for you, the church, the body of Christ, next Sunday at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Oh, my goodness. You would be the best saint all next week. Oh, you would feed so many people in this town. You would, you would do it. Until next Sunday at 1 o'clock and it didn't happen, you'd go, what happened? That's our nature. That's our nature. But the Bible says no man knows the time nor the hour. But let your gentleness, let your Christianity be known to all men. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. 
the Lord is at hand. Listen to what Paul spoke about last week in Philippians chapter 3. We're not to hang on to the things of the world. Remember, he was sharing that. We read the words of Jesus. We're in the world, but we're not a part of the world. But Paul said, press towards that mark, which is Christ. Persevere. Pursue the mark, the goal, which is Christ. We said something beautiful last week. It's not that you win the race, but that you finish the course. Finish the course. You ever see somebody that runs a marathon? It's very difficult. And you see these people hours after the race is over, and they're still trying. Their legs are gone, but they're still trying. They want to finish the race. I mean, are you going to listen to somebody that says, hey, I was in the New York Marathon. Oh, yeah, did you finish? No, I only went one block. <laughs> What's that about? And don't you hate those ones? There's always somebody that sneaks in, and then they're all fresh, no sweat, no perspiration, and they supposedly won the race. Oh, you never were in the race. And so in Christianity, did we finish the race? Let your gentleness be known to all men. Why? Because Jesus is coming soon. Then look at verse 6. Evidently, there was a lot of anxiety. Remember, we shared there was a lot of persecution in the early church, persecution uh, to the church at Philippi. And so Paul says to them here, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known uh, to God. The word anxiety or the word anxious here, worry is not of God. You see, worry is of the flesh or worry is of the enemy trying to scare us even to death. The Greek is saying here, don't be distracted by cares, the cares of this world, the cares of finances, the cares of sickness and disease and infirmity, the cares of fill in the blank. We get anxious. Anxiety sets in. And so, learn to give it to God. Listen to this verse. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Now, I love Matthew chapter 6. Verse, chapters 5, 6, and 7, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And as you come to uh, Matthew 6, 33, it's the conclusion. But prior to that, Jesus is talking about, be anxious for none of these things. The disciples were concerned, what are we going to eat? They were concerned, what are we going to wear? They were concerned, where are we going to live if we're going to follow you? These are natural concerns. Moms, dads, we, we're concerned. You know, I hope the job continues. Hope I don't get the pink slip this Friday. Hope I don't get fired this Friday. The concerns. We have natural concerns. But in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, listen to the words of Jesus to his disciples on the Sermon on the Mount. Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, his right living for God. Then Jesus said, all these things will be added unto you. Church, we need to learn to trust God for everything. Trust God for everything on a daily basis. Be anxious for nothing. Now listen to this verse in 1 John chapter 1, verse 18. John writes, perfect love casts out all fear. The word perfect is complete love, and that complete love is in Christ. Jesus is this perfect love. Give him your fears. Give him your phobias. Notice here in verse 6 now, Paul gives us three steps to having God's peace in your hearts. God's peace in your hearts because of the fears, the cares, the concerns, your anxieties. He begins in verse 6 again. Number one, be anxious for nothing. Secondly, pray. Listen, pray about everything. Supplication, tell him everything. Thirdly, be thankful in all things. Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your goodness, your grace, your love, and your mercy. You know, there was a time after my dad's death, 
my dad passing away, I was thankful. You know why? He wasn't suffering anymore. And so there is the place of being thankful. Stop worrying, Christian, this morning. Trust God by faith in God. Pray, pray, and then pray again. But when we pray, listen, let it not just be a one-way street. Let's not just be the one always talking, and that's how we come to pray. But do we take time, listen to this now, do we take time to hear the voice of God? Do we take time for God to speak to me? I don't know about you, but have you ever just opened your Bible and asked God to speak to you? I, I can guarantee you. Don't just randomly pick it, but in a sense you can. But begin in the Gospel of John. Go into the book of Acts. Try to read systematically and ask God, speak to me. Oh, I can guarantee you. It won't be too long after you're reading, meditating, and then you're going to say, whoa, God, you're speaking to me quite a bit. We need to learn to listen to God. Remember that we pray, but God also wants to respond. We have to take that place of listening. Again, in the seven letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, take heed. At the end of each letter, take heed. Pay attention to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church. Now, this is a hard one, but husbands, let me give you an example. Your wife's talking to you, and you're looking right at her, and you don't know what she said. Or she's in the other part of the room, and you're in the chair, and she's talking, and you just go, uh-huh. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. And then she says, we just hit the lotto for $20 million. Okay, uh-huh. You're not listening. And so we speak to God, but are we listening? God wants to speak to us, obviously. The Lord says, pay attention to what the Spirit of the Lord has to say. And so Paul's encouraging the church at Philippi. Let's go to verse 7. And if we truly spend some time with the Lord... Uh, accomplish what verse 6 said. Verse 7 says, And the peace of God, listen, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. If we take the threefold measure of verse 6, be anxious for nothing, pray about everything, pray with thanksgiving. Verse 7 says here, What will come to pass is God's peace. The word peace translates to God's rest. God wants to give us rest in our hearts. God's peace, God's rest will also guard, listen, or keep watch over you. Our hearts and our minds, give them to God. Our concerns uh, that are in our minds, in our hearts, we all have them. We have to trust God. Those of you that have children, those of you that have teenagers, oh, it drives you crazy. We raised four girls. And I tell you what, when they were in high school, oh, Lord, take care of them. Oh, Lord, cover them with your grace, your love, your mercy. And then we would, you know, you tell your kid, I want you home at 1 o'clock, and there it is, 1.30. He or she hasn't showed up yet. You're going crazy. And you're crying out to God. And then he or she walks in. Where you been? Oh, I stopped at Sonic. I told you 1 o'clock. I thought you said 1.30. See, all the excuses I know because I used them. And our fear set in. Our anxiety set in. Those of you that have young kids, let me encourage you. It's not over yet. Then your kids get married. Then they have grandchildren. Now you're praying for their grandkids. Oh, Lord, take care of them. And then our oldest daughter decides to move them all back to California. How dare she? Our anxieties kick in. We have to be very careful. We have to trust God. My mother-in-law is the one that's saying, yeah, you took my kids. <laughs> I want you to mark this verse down. We're going to study it next week. 
Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Who strengthens you? God gives us the power. God enables us to be strong in him. He has dispensed to us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to lead you and guide you into all truth. He's going to empower you. And so I have learned to pray for my children, to pray for our grandchildren. Trust God, church. And I know sometimes it's easier said than done, but we need to let God do his effective work. Verse 7 again, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You can only learn that through experience and through maturity in Christ. Look at verse 8 now. He sets this up so beautifully. Finally, he's coming to the conclusion of this portion of the letter, this half portion of chapter 4. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are, are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy. Underline this in your Bible. Meditate on these things. That's what Paul says. Now, he's asking, you know, he's bringing forth a rhetorical stance. And the words that Paul's using here, whatever things are true, the words whatever things is, fix your thoughts on what is true. Fix your thoughts on what is true. And what is truth? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he goes on, fix your thoughts on what is honest and right. And again, who is honest? Who is right? But God. Fix your thoughts on what is pure. Who's pure? Who's clean? That's a translation. Who's without sin? It's Christ. He says, fix your thoughts on what is true. Fix your thoughts now on what is pure. Fix your thoughts on what are clean, friendly, acceptable of honest report, your testimony. If there is any virtue, things that are praiseworthy, Paul says, meditate upon these. Think on these things. Make these things uh, the thought and consideration of your mind and your heart. Meditate on the things of God. Keep our minds and our hearts on the things that edify, build up the body of Christ, not tear down the body of Christ. Now, verse 8 is a, is a loaded gun. Because do we meditate upon the things of God? Let me give you the scenario. Tomorrow morning, do I get up? Do I meditate upon the things of God? Do I take some time? To read at least a scripture. Do I take some time to pray? Five minutes. Or am I up already late? Get dressed just in time? I wolf down a half a cup of coffee and a, and a half a toast and I'm out the door because I don't want to be late for work. We haven't meditated upon nothing. My meditation is I got to hit each light because I got to get there in time. Make sure there's no traffic on 70. Make sure there's no traffic on I-25. Is that what I'm meditating on? And then I go through the whole day. Now I'm speaking to myself as I'm speaking to you. I get home, and I go through the ritual of being home. You have your dinner and such. Maybe some of you take your showers at night, and you get ready. You look at a little TV. Now what are we meditating on about God before I go to bed? Is the last thing that's on my mind when I go to bed? I just finished listening to Jay Leno. David Letterman, Conan O'Brien, do I go to bed with CNN on my mind, my heart, Larry King, I mean all the things, I just listened to the news and I heard about rape, I heard about murder, I heard about abduction, I heard about, you know all the things we hear, and then you're going to bed at night and you haven't even prayed, what do we meditate upon? I'm just as guilty as you. I'm not telling you to get rid of your televisions and all this and, and all that, but do we spend a little time? We should have this practice, and I try to do it, but it doesn't always happen. Read a psalm of the day. Today's the 16th. Read Psalm 16. 
Read a proverb of the day before you go to bed. Proverbs 16. It's so easily done. Those of us that are married, get your spouse's hand and say, let's pray before we go to bed. Lord, let us meditate upon you. Or we watch some of the movies, some of the DVDs, and, you know, you go to bed then at 3 o'clock in the morning, you'll wake up, ah, they're trying to kill me. Who? That guy in the movie that I saw before I went to bed. Here he comes. He's got that mask. I thought he was a hockey player. Ah, some of you have seen it, huh? <laughs> what do we meditate upon? What do we meditate upon, church? The things of God. We're Christians. Paul is encouraging the church at Philippi. Now, he comes to the conclusion. Look at verse 9. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. Now, Paul could say that. And the God of peace will be with you. Listen to Paul's heart to the church at Philippi. Paul's heart to the church here at Calvary Chapel this morning. Put into practice all you learned from me, Paul says. All you heard from me. All that you saw me do, Paul says. Then God's peace will be with you. We have to draw from God's word. We have to gather wisdom from God's word. We need to study. We need to rely upon our faith in God. Paul tells the church at Rome in Romans 10, 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I love sports, but we need to put down sports sometimes and pick up our Bible and read a little bit. I'm not telling you to go through, you know, Genesis uh, through Revelation, but man, just a, a few verses, a few scriptures, a psalm of the day, a proverb of the day. And what does it take to grab your spouse's hand and say, let's pray, honey. Let's pray. God is going to reward us, church. Here in verse 9 is what Paul had said in previous letters. Uh, Paul said, copy me because I copy Christ. Mimic me because I mimic Christ. Paul is a good example. And Paul's example, obviously, was Christ. Man, we need to learn to trust God. We need to meditate upon these things. And this morning, if you're not born again of the Holy Spirit, if you're not sure that your name is written in the book of life, that's what you need to meditate upon on. Don't leave here without Jesus. It's not about Calvary Chapel. It's about your relationship with God. That's it. Cut and dry. But look at all the memberships I've had. I don't care how many you've had. Look how many times I've been water baptized. I don't care. Is your name written in the book of life? Make sure this morning.